to Nota Bene. Benjamin, this is my least favorite holiday of the year, but it still feels great to be in New York. It's Halloween in New York City. Uh, the sidewalks were littered with detritus from the weekend. I have a little bone to pick, Nate. Yeah, what's that? Uh, I probably did this last year around the same time. I think we probably did. So today is the 31st of Halloween, yes, All sir. Hallows Eve, mm-hmm. right? Uh, tomorrow's the Day of the Dead, as I understand, I, right? Something like that, yeah. Uh, but yet, and and that's it. This is a day traditionally dress up in costumes, small children, so go out trick-or-treating, uh, getting candy and whatnot. Uh you know that's fine, all well and good. I get kids. I'm dressing them up. You have a kid. I bet you. I bet you. You're dressing up as a lettuce We're not or something. Dressing her up, no. uh, but on Friday and Saturday nights of this past weekend, people were out celebrating Halloween in the bars, in parties. Um, that's not Halloween, people. If you're an adult, if you're in your 20s, 30s, and God forbid, even your 40s, it's fine. If you want to dress up on the, on the holiday, like not for me, I'm not going to do it. I might put on a scary mask as I greet the trick or treaters at my apartment door. Mm-hmm. But if you want to do that, that's fine on today. But to go out and get sloppy drunk in a slutty nurse costume on the Friday before is not acceptable. And I guess they're like, oh, well, it's Friday or Saturday. That's you know we can go out then. If you can't deal with the resulting uh, physical and mental repercussions of your celebratory uh, intake. On the actual day at work tomorrow, you don't deserve to be getting dressed up and going out. Right. So if you really take this, and this is a dumb holiday, it's very, very stupid. But if you happen to enjoy it, whatever, not going to judge, you enjoy it on this day and no other days. Agree. I think what it is, is, you know, in the US, we don't have, in the UK, they have fancy dress parties, which you Mm -hmm. also probably would dislike, but it can be any random day, a random Tuesday in February. Uh, that you get dressed up in a costume and go to either a dinner party or a cocktail party. It's called fancy dress. Yeah, but we don't have that here. So I think all of that, um, if you want to call it creative energy (laughs) um, or or desire to be someone other than yourself in terms of your your getup, it has to be channeled into this one holiday, and so people do it. On we, the but we have Saturday. Burning Man. Why can't we just like only do this at Burning Man in the middle <laughs> of the desert, so it doesn't have to invade my life in the East well, I mean, you really live in in the heart of like sloppy it's, it's adult such a behavior. Nightmare. This is, I mean, it's a very pleasant place to live most of the year, but during this ungodly holiday, and of course during the fucking terrifying SantaCon. Is not fun to be. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in due course <laughs> as, as the holidays come. Uh, but even today, which is is Monday, I definitely saw at least one uh, discarded Halloween costume on the street this morning as I was walking around the East Village. That is just the shamiest walk of shame I can think of. <laughs> it was some sort of uh, Harry Potter affiliated costume too. Isn't that even like canceled? Like you can't do that anymore, right? I I don't know. I mean, I think you know people aren't that I'm imaginative. Not up, on, up in the up and up. Um, anyway, uh, happy fucking Halloween. I'm not sure when I'm going to edit this and put it up, but uh, it might be in a couple days, <laughs> uh, but we're celebrating today. What I'm celebrating is just being in the greatest city in the world after traveling, you know, some long trips, some short trips, but now I'm very much settled in the city. Very excited about that. I don't want to, I don't want to jinx this, but my United app does not show any upcoming trips Amazing. for the month of November until like the very, until after Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving the Sunday after Thanksgiving, Miami, yeah. of course. Uh, we'll be at Joe's that Sunday. No, is this new? Like, explain this to me. This came suddenly into my brain. D- the fair's opening on Tuesday this year. Is it did that-, that last year, too. Really? Yeah. And they switched it so it could be the same as, like, Basel, Basel, which opens on Tuesday. Really threw, threw me for quite a loop. I'm a fan of the fairs that open early in the week because you can just fucking leave. 
Agree. Yeah. Agree. So it opens on Tuesday. And I, I can leave. I could leave Wednesday, but I guess I'll leave Thursday. It also works great in Miami because all the hangers on, like who don't really know anything about I'll art. I'll be or the gone fair. before they get there. Exactly. Yeah. They all, I, they all show up on Friday being like, where's the art? I mean, some of them and are your friends gone. from Twitter, Nate Freeman. What? Some of them are your friends from Twitter. My friends from Twitter. From the downtown podcast and literary community. I, they're still my friends. They just happen to show up to the Art Fossil Miami Beach Art Fair quite late. Uh, yeah. I mean, good, good, good people to hang out with and have a drink, but maybe not at the Now might be a good time fair. to talk about a change at the helm of Art Fossil. Oh, my goodness. Our good buddy... No, uh, a friend of the, a great friend of the pod, former guest, has been named the new CEO of Art Basel globally, taking over from our other close friend, Mark Spiegler, who has done a great job over the last decade plus running the fair. Almost fifteen years, right? That Mark's been at the fair for almost fifteen years. I think he's been running it for twelve. Okay, well, you would know. Um, yeah, a big, uh, somewhat unexpected, I would say, considering that Noah just left uh, Art Basel about a year ago. It's to- unexpected, but also clearly the right move um, for everyone involved. Uh, Mark, I think, you know, it's just, he's done this job for a long time. It's a hard job, you know, not an I easy mean, job. The wear and tear, never mind the, the hardness of just wrangling all the galleries, especially during the time of COVID, the spaces, getting collectors uh, and patrons to go, just the wear and physical tear on mm-hmm. the body of the constant travel. You have to show up to everything. You're living on an airplane mm-hmm. uh, and you're dealing with the Swiss an awful lot. I mean, that can't be easy. Right. I think that, you know, you could say it was a little shocking that Noah was only at Sotheby's for a year, but at the same time, you know, Charlie Stewart, CEO Sotheby's made a really, really heartfelt post in admiration of Noah. Seems I'm, like they're okay. Yeah, I mean, it was verging on thirsty, really. <laughs> they did mention some potential collaborations to come. We'll see what that means. All in due course. Yeah. All in due course. All in due course. In, exactly. <laughs> um, but, but you know, our, our friendship with Noah aside, he is clearly the, the right pick to take over this fair. Well, I mean, um, my understanding was that he always thought he was going to take over the fair. And mm-hmm. when it seemed like that wasn't happening, that was kind of maybe what spurned the move to maybe. York Avenue. We're just speculating, you know. Maybe. I mean, that's, people are saying. People are saying. Well. Well, but regardless, now he's back. Uh, I've also heard that uh, while this position was historically based in Zurich, Switzerland, because that is where the fair was born, um, Noah will be based in New York City. Well, interesting. I wonder if that has if that's possible because the MCH group uh, now has a majority shareholder that is also primarily based I, here I in the states. I think that probably has something to do with it. James Murdoch's Lupa is operating right now out of Soho. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. He could just wander on over if he wanted to take a seat on the couch and, and be a guest. Mm-hmm. This is true. We should work on that. Um, yeah, exciting changes afoot, it seems like. And it's happening pretty fast. Uh, I, Noah will join tomorrow, I believe, the 1st of November. I think so. And Mark will see, see, see him through the transition just until the end of this year. Mm-hmm. And so by next year, when we have fairs in Hong Kong and Basel and Paris, and then again in Miami, Noah will be in charge of all of them. You know, we, neither you or I went to Paris. Are you having? I'm having a little bit of like. In, I, at the time, I didn't have any FOMO, but now I kind of like. Kind of wish I'd seen some of those museum it shows. It wasn't really possible for me to go, so I can't really have FOMO for something that was literally impossible. Um, but at the same time, 
every time I've seen someone who's in Paris, they were very, very uh, enthusiastic about not just the fair, which was a big improvement on Fiat, but also just everything in Paris. Like you said, the museum shows, Cyprian show in particular looked fucking for sick. For sure, for sure. And in that, fact, I'm bummed to not see. I was gabbing it up with a, a prominent art world denizen uh, who also um, is the prime, one of the prime movers and shakers of behind another a uh, very uh, notable fall art world event. And uh, Paris was so enticing to them that they're thinking of shaking up the date of their event uh, going forward so that they're able to attend Paris. Right. Um, yeah, a lot of blind <laughs> items in there, but I think you probably read between the lines. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, just the fact that that's happening is indicate- an indication that Paris was not just a big success, but it will kind of be a must attend yeah thing. it seems like it's become a must attend thing much, was much never like- really must attend it was for people who wanted to spend some time in paris you know go to the museums and then there's also an art fair now the fair is pretty much an unmissable thing you know nate you could really call this podcast the blind item we like to talk around so you know we can't you know oh, we no, both no, have no, a lot I'm of not calling you out for okay. dropping blind item. you know i've done it many times i'm probably going to do it multiple times this episode we love it and and you know our listeners love it too it's fun um yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot that you and I know that we necessarily can't say explicitly on the pod there's a lot that, or in that print. We do say though because we're generous. Yeah, we broke know? we've broken some big some big stories that may or not be true, <laughs> and they refuse to die. <laughs> yeah, no regrets here. No regrets, but we might have started created a monster. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oops! I think there's going to be more in that in 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 the uh, in, yeah. in the story of luxury galleries and luxury conglomerates. There's, there's, there's still some tree to shake. I think there's something there. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure it's necessarily a tie up, but it just feels still uh, some some tree to shake. Yeah. What else is going on in the art world? In the world in general? Not so much. I, I you got pr- any good resis on the dock in the next week or so? Dude, resis are getting harder and harder to get. You know, it know. started in the Times when they talked about the the six o'clock reservation. In this weekend's FT, it also talked about Jesus. in the city of London where people were beginning to eat earlier, and they are not having it. Some of the some of the restaurateurs, I mean, they're dealing with it, but they're like this used to be the pre dinner crowd, like these sad little old people, and now you have real people having dinner at this hour. Wild. I mean, you just gotta you know collect bat phones, like you know the the grails that they are. No, and in fact, uh, I was cruising around uh, museums, auction houses, went to go see uh, the great Paul Allen collection at Christie's with some clients. Going uh, tomorrow. Sale. Uh, and we had, we'd gone to the MoMA to see what was hanging up over there. I wanted to go back and see Tillman's again. And we're like, oh, let's grab some lunch on our way up towards the Guggenheim. And we're thinking, where'd you go? Where do we go? Well, I, we couldn't get a resi anywhere, a re- wow. or a table. So, um, uh, uh, w- what's the Ignacio spot in Rock Center? Lodi, Lodi. We, tr- I, I, the best I could do is a two forty-five, which ended up being too late. We were able to secure a two o'clock reservation at the corner bar, but if you know anything about the geography of Manhattan, that actually didn't make any sense. No, for it doesn't us. make any sense. Called and canceled that one. Um, uh, we stopped by Hillstone over on Third Avenue, thinking, mm-hmm. "Oh, we'll just pop into Hillstone." Not, you know, Hillstone's always a good idea. Always. An hour wait. Wow. Yeah, totally. Uh, so then I had the bright idea. I was like, well, we're going to the Guggenheim, and because I couldn't be in town for the dinner after the opening uh, the previous Friday, mm-hmm. uh, we decided to stop in at Orsay and have a little bite to eat. That's great. You we- know, and I 
wasn't, very much enjoyed wasn't my, great, but it was also perfect, if it, that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I just ate a meal there the other day that was fine, but it was an excellent meal, and it was so fun. They were able so to great. see us, no problem. They took good care there of we, us. That's all you it need. Was, that's you what know, you need. You know? I will say the French fries, exceptional. Mm-hmm. This uh, is true. Exceptional French mm-hmm. fry. I was really, you know, quite pleased. The Nisois, maybe not the best I've ever had, but the French fry on the side, because, mm-hmm. you know, you got to mix in the health with the not-so-health. Exactly. Um, so that was on, I guess that was on Saturday, but we had been hanging out the day before, the, the, a couple days before. Mm-hmm. Actually, we weren't hanging out. We, we were passed like two ships in the night in our nation's capital of Washington, Can we discuss our, uh, our travel journeys to Washington? Just we can, with discretion and some blind itemness, okay. yes, we can. Because I maintain that my trip was quicker than yours. Oh, and what? I, I, and this is going to be remarkable if we can tell let's the ta- listeners. Let's talk. Let's talk it out. So tell me uh, the t- just timeline your trip. Okay, I had an eleven o two train. Sella. What time did you leave your apartment? Um, I left my apartment. You know, very not. Uh, I think at ten forty. Ooh, mm-hmm. it's cutting it a little close, but okay. It's cutting a little close. I, I actually intended to leave earlier, and I didn't. Um, got on the Sella. You know, three hours in, so I got in at two, uh, and then it was a seven minute Uber from. Uh, Union Station to the Rubell Museum. Okay, so, so all, all in, that's three plus 20 plus seven. Mm-hmm. So let's call that a solid three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit more, but we'll call it three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's see me. So on Thursday, uh, I took uh, my, 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 my usual driver, picked me up at my house. He had alerted me that tra- the, the, the traffic was a bit rough getting out of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so what usually is a 30-minute ride, he was like, let's give it an hour. I said, let's, let's cut the difference. Let's do 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. So we left my house at 4 p.m. Uh-huh. No, he wanted it to be 4. We left at 4.15 okay. uh, to get to Teterboro. Uh-huh. We got to Teterboro at 4.45. So it really was 30 minutes. He was being a little bit uh, mm-hmm. uh, overly anxious. So I got to Teterboro at 4.45. Uh, the people I was going with arrived on time at mm-hmm. 5.15. So, so we're saying that everything went according to plan here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. I had I, I built in a little extra wait time because okay. in, in these circumstances, when someone's generous enough to be uh, taking you somewhere, you do not want to be late. Of course. Really not okay because they'll leave without you. And as well <laughs> as well they should. Mm-hmm. Um, get there, uh, get on the plane right away. I think we were originally scheduled for 5.30. There was a little bit of traffic in the airspace. I think we left closer to f- wheels up at like 5.45. Mm-hmm. Uh, landed at Dulles at 6, 5.45. We landed there at about 6.45. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, here's where things get a little bit sticky. The trip from Dulles to the Rubel Collection was a solid 42 minutes. Right. Um Unfortunate, but I mean, it was fine. It worked out for me. It worked out perfectly. I, I, I'm sure it so did. So it was about equal. I, would I think say. it was about equal. It was about equal. That, that, that's my point. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was about equal. So all all this is, all this is to say, credit to Joseph R. Biden Jr.'s beloved Amtrak for getting me there in the same time as as your spiffier transportation yeah i'd say my my, my mode you, had a my mode i would say had some other upsides perhaps <laughs> attached to it that's very fair to say i'm just i, I wish you I, know. Could, I wish i could get into some of them because there are some fascinating uh twists and turns <laughs> but i won't <laughs> <laughs> no i'm sure you definitely traveled with in more style than i did i didn't even have a beer on the train because yeah, sometimes to they, it's not about the destination it's about the journey <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, okay, Conrad Hilton. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, you know. Um, but we both ended up in the same place. You actually got there early because you were you were a day ahead because you sat mm. down first with uh with with, with Don and Mira and Jason uh, and Jason and we, and who's was, our guest in this podcast. Heads up. Uh, so. That was getting to that. I was getting okay. there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Shit, uh, be a little loquacious, but that was the end point of my whole thing. But you sat down with with the three of them and you talk about their new museum. The results of which uh, were a standalone little quick hit column in the Vanity Fair com or on mm-hmm. the vanity fair.com uh, and conversation. then and I, you know, out, what do. we didn't talk about is you sh- you 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 went all on your lonesome all grown up it's so, so amazing how quickly grown up, all on your lonesome with the podcast kit with the gear i did and you interviewed jason alone I you did. set it up you press record i haven't checked the recording yet um let's hope it's there i'm sure it's there you're you're, listen you're a musician you know how these things work okay i saw you play the drums at your wedding bro i did do that but i don't necessarily know how to work machines um i'm sure it's fine but yeah you went and did it alone you sat down with jason you you talked about we'll we'll find out i i I assume i have to edit out a whole bunch of duke basketball talk you're not touching any of that shit Um, there's a lot of it you know, the reason I keep final it's cut. relevant Duke talk okay, okay. you'll see it's part of okay. the narrative I'm, ex- you know, I'm excited to listen I think the listeners will be excited to listen oh totally it's it's, it's a great conversation um, but uh, let's talk about the museum itself we'll, we'll, we'll get into the conversation obviously in a few minutes we, we do discuss the museum at length but but you know well our impressions the event mm-hmm. so you were there on the early side so what time did, you were there like all day but what time did the I event start I actually got there a little bit early because Mary, Mayor Muriel Bowser the DC mayor was there to cut the ribbon, which actually entails a gigantic pair of scissors cutting a ribbon, which yeah. is fun. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what's more DC than that, right? Oh, yeah. A proper yeah, yeah. old like lo- local just, politics exactly, moment. Exactly, exactly. It was wonderful. She gave a nice little speech. Don and Mira and Jason and did anyone the have to slip her a hundred to do this? Like <laughs> inside of the crowd, I and mean, I know it's DC politics. <laughs> I think she was happy to do it. You know, she gave a great little little speech, uh, and then I saw her sticking. She stuck around at the opening as well. And she was just chatting with people. I didn't get a chance to talk with her, but she was very much there. Um, fun fact: I brought my father to the opening, which was which is a lot. That's a lot so of fun. cool. Um, uh, you know, he's a long time, lifelong uh, DC resident, um, and he ran into some friends there, which is cool. You know, so he felt very well, it felt like a very thing. local DC yeah, event. It, it was. I mean, there was some friends from New York that we would that I ran into, including Olivia Babin, um, Amir Shariat. Who else was there from DC? Uh, well, he's not really. Uh, a he's DC. from Europe. He's from whatever, Vienna. Vienna. Yeah, but, and he's but, very, very like, close with Don Amira these days. And Jason. This is true. I meant like members of the international, international. community that don't live in DC. I saw Carlo Bronzini. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Fuentes was there. Yeah, uh, I saw... Um, Beth DeWoody was there. I, I didn't see Beth. I saw uh, a swath of Miami folks um, were, were there, kind of arts and arts affiliated. Uh, who else did I see? A woman who does uh, arts and culture projects for Chanel, whose name is escaping me. Diane Solway. Yep, that's mm-hmm. the one. Um, yes, yeah, so it was a great... Great crowd, but yeah, mostly DC people, which and, but is it was good. packed. I got, no, so totally I, packed. I got there at uh, whatever the math just was, you know, closer to seven fifteen or so, and uh, yeah, it was absolutely packed. You could hardly move through, which is great. It felt good. Uh, mm-hmm. Incredible work uh, on the walls. A lot of names that I'm familiar with from the Rubel collection uh, down in Miami or the mm-hmm. Rubel Museum. Um, but a different thing. It felt more like homesy. It was smaller than their big new massive museum. Um, but like the quality of work was unchanged. Yeah. In this amazing old schoolhouse that they redid, which is very very. It cool. did such a great job. Uh, you know, building out this museum in this really historic, cool building. And I don't know if you checked out the basement, but the basement part was maybe my favorite part. It you know was effectively unchanged. It was very raw. 
Um, yeah, I was gonna say that was for me was the highlight was the mm-hmm. basement mostly because uh, there was incredible John Miller installation, unbelievable, uh, incredible, incredible project, and then a whole room of one of my absolute favorites, Josh Klein, friend of the pod, uh, Josh Klein, and uh, you know a- ahead of his forthcoming Whitney Museum uh, retrospective, yeah. the career survey that will be opening next year. Josh Klein hits different in DC. It really, it really hits. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure, for sure. You know, it was funny. I didn't see uh, a lot of people from the political or media worlds that I thought might attend. Yeah, I mean, I think that over time, like, they'll seep in. I don't know uh, how many people were necessarily going to be at the opening, but I know that it's it's a big deal But I got the feeling from the amount of unfamiliar faces to me that were clearly, like, DC folks that they were really thirsty for, like, some cutting-edge contemporary art. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I bet everyone in the sort of media landscape that is familiar with New York galleries maybe goes to Art Basel sometimes. Do you think Tony Podesta was there? Maybe. I think he used a little profile these days. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably. Um, but, yeah. We don't need to go into Tony, do we? No, no. Okay. <laughs> I see the look uh, on your face. <laughs> but um, no, I'm sure that it's going to be a big hit among the local elites, um, that, which includes the media and political figures that we know and love. Yeah, um, it, it was it was it was a good time. I'm really glad I went down. And then we get a. I have a somewhat busy week this week. Uh, yeah, I do too. We get tomorrow night. I'm going to a benefit for the the Hort Foundation. I wish I could be there. I gave my seat up. Uh, we have to have family time. Uh, I'm very it'll be ha- fun, though. Well, it'll be kind of touching, you know. Uh, I know. I think, actually. I think it's going to be uh, uh, kind of tough as their son just passed mm-hmm. Michael uh, two weeks ago, or, yeah. or if even that After long. a long, uh, battle, of long battle of cancer, which is very sad. Uh, I'm going as a guest of friend and former guest of the pod, Sarah Friedlander, who Wonderful. I think is, uh, is, is acting as the charity auctioneer. It is black tie. <laughs> yeah. Get your monkey seat on. I got, I got, I got a press since, uh, since Dallas, obviously. And then we have the ADAA opening mm-hmm. later in the week. Um, on I know Wednesday. there's some other things I've had to decline, sadly. Um, yeah, Wednesday, got an art fair. Surprise. Yeah, it's kind of... It's, <laughs> the, the, the preview started hitting my email link over the weekend. I was like, oops, <laughs> didn't really plan for this one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But at least it's a local fair. We only have to take the six train to it. Um, you know, not a, a... One of the few fairs I pay to attend. Really? Yeah, because the the oh, the benefit is the the, the opening of the mm-hmm. Vernissage is a benefit for the Henry Street settlement, and I'm not going to try and like game my way in and not totally. Not I mean, I, I get charity. a press pass, but my words are my contribution. <laughs> <laughs> I meant that earnestly. It felt earnest to me. It felt earnest. Uh, yeah, and there was there's some things this weekend that I declined to go to. Uh, Folks, I, I love you all. I love your gallery programs. I love fancy dinners at Frenchette. Friday night's really tough, man. By Friday, like, I'm kind of toast. Yeah, I think I'm going to pop into a few things on Friday. Thursday's the babysitter night for us where we're going uptown. To That's good. That's really dinner. smart. You guys should lock that in and make that a consistent thing. I just think book her out. Just we say, actually hey, have this is, done that. Yeah. Lucy thought of this over the summer that we just, like, locked in Thursdays. Yeah, that was really bright on I her know. part. Um all right, I think that's all that I have. I think everyone should stay tuned for this uh, this solo interview between Nate Freeman and Jason Rubel coming up right, right after this. Welcome back to Nota Bene, a very, very special edition of Nota Bene because I am joined here by the one and only Jason Rubel. Welcome, Jason. Thank you. Quite an honor to have you on the podcast, especially because today is the opening of the Rubel Museum in Great Washington, D.C., my home city. And it has been a passion project for you and your family for how, how many years now? This has been going for almost, I think, 13 years now. That is, that is incredible. And, and the, today is the day. Today is the day. How are you feeling? I feel uh, nervous, excited, but uh, very kind of 
in a certain sense, relieved that we've finally made it because it's been a journey mm-hmm. and uh, took a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears, but we, uh, but we got there. And uh, to be in the nation's capital is like a real treat and a pleasure. I, I, I had the enormous pleasure of, of walking through the museum yesterday with you and your parents, and uh, it really, really is going to be an enormous, uh, you know, asset to the Washington, D.C. arts scene to have this here. Um, as a D.C. local, D.C. native, I'm just proud that, that, that this exists and this is here, and it looks fantastic. The building looks amazing. The show looks great. It is just thrilling to see these artworks you know, anywhere in the world, but especially thrilling for me to see them here. Too kind. Oh, I'm, I'm just a, fa- I'm a fan of the work and a fan of the museum. No, it's, it's nice to hear that from uh, a DC native. So mm-hmm. that, that means a lot. And, and to feel like we're uh, wanted here and can, uh, can, can join the ecosystem is totally pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah, um, I I can't wait to see just you know who shows up tonight. I know I think the mayor is coming to to, to cut the, the ribbon, so the to speak. The mayor is cutting the ribbon. I'm excited to see that myself. Yeah, that's gonna be great. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, what was the initial step? You know, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but I, I want to just get it on the pot here. How did this first first come to be? Um, we'd been coming to DC for many years. We, we had a hotel property here. We still do, which is located directly across the street from the, uh, what is, what was the Randall school is now the the museum. Um, and there was a real impetus from the local community, the Southwest, uh, part of uh, DC to bring culture to this part of town and have a museum of their own and have a, have a public cultural venue. Um, you know, they had seen what we had done in Miami. Um, I think they, they liked it. They liked what the type of work that we showed. They liked this kind of edgy contemporary work. And um, it was an opportunity arose through various circumstances. The Corcoran originally had this site and was going to do their art school there. But uh, their course changed. And then the, the site was put out for another RFP. And we joined up with uh, Marilyn Milconi, a local developer here. And we... Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow by minor miracle were, were awarded the site and um that was back in almost 2010 um and so that it's been a journey to get to the right you know development team to put it together and help us you know fully execute this and but you know finally got there and you know what was this sort of you know art scene in in dc like then i i remember when Melissa Chu was appointed to come to the Hirshhorn. Sure. At that time, it was seen as like the first real step toward bringing contemporary art to DC. And so you were here before that. And, and, and we you got were- here in like 2001, 2002. Mm-hmm. That's when we first sort of really engaged. We did a number of years with something called the Emerge Art Fair mm-hmm. at our Capitol yeah. Skyline Hotel with, uh, with Lee Connor, the Connor Smith Gallery, uh-huh. the local gallery in town, help us organize it. Um, there was a great outpouring of interest. It was kind of amazing. Um, you, it was a very, I'd say, regionally based fair in terms of who was participating in it. But the, uh, the, the, the reaction and the kind of audience was clearly there. I mm-hmm. mean, so there's clearly an, an interest and a focus on, on uh, contemporary uh, uh, young art. So it seemed very logical that, you know, if we could, you know, have, have a space here to show the collection, why not? It mm-hmm. seems like the, it's here. I mean, you have the best, the best of the best in, uh-huh. in the museums here. Why, why, why not? Why not bring something a little more current mm-hmm. and um, 
and with with current topics and current subject matter and you know into the belly of the beast per se I mean, mm, yeah this is where all that this is where all these dialogues and, and conversations are happening and want to bring art that's made today very current and dealing with those issues right i mean you had to thought about the not just the significance of washington dc but also the uh, proximity to where laws are made, where where the, the power of this nation are, the, you know, were you thinking about that when you were programming this, this first show? When you well, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, where we're housed is a 1906 uh, old school building, which is set with a segregated building in a part of D.C. in the Southwest that was basically sliced off from the rest of D.C. through the uh, through various highway constructions and. And this is a place where you feel, um, you know, you're probably less than a mile from the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Um, you, ca- you, you know, inevitably, every time I come to D.C., I, you know, you land and you're like, wow, this is, this is a powerful place. I mean, yeah. th- there's stuff going on here that changes all of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no way to get away from that. I mean, I, I don't think we're coming here as some sort of political move or action, we, but, but we are clearly influenced both by what this school represented and, and, and who it served in this community and, and where, uh, um, you know, and, and where we are, there's mm-hmm. no doubt. But at the same time, it's a very, it's kind of an exciting time to be in D.C. because it is on the rise in terms of its, you know, place in, in the contemporary art world and also just, you know, the people who live here are very young. They, you know, a lot of people come to work either in or adjacent to the government. I went to this, restaurant last night Le Diplomat and it was just packed with just like really fun you know young people and you know I know that Keith McNally is bringing Minetta Tavern down here oh, great. you know like we're gonna it's gonna have a legit restaurant scene I mean it already does but it's, it's gonna have great food I, yeah, I, yeah exactly and so like it just I don't know I had this feeling last night um, you know just being at a restaurant here it's like wow like, this city is ready for, for this museum it's ready for you know like a lot of contemporary, a lot of contemporary culture, and it's it's ready to, you know, make its own, and and it's so exciting to see that in my home hometown. For sure, I I think why not? I, I, I it's it's funny that it ha- hasn't gone there yet, or maybe I mean you know better. You're from here, but I think there's no reason why why it shouldn't. I mean, the, you're right. The food scene, my favorite part of Nota Bene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't Long just trying time. to slip that in. I, no, no, no. I'm a, I'm a I'm, fan. I'm a, I'm a definitely a fan. Mm, I mean, but, you know, the, without a doubt. I mean, the, yeah, we're actually going to bring a cool restaurant here. That's going to happen. Well, to I was going to ask yeah. about that. I mean, do, can you reveal any plans about that for uh, the, the, we? Ha- it's it, it, unannounced yet. But I, what I will say is that it's it's uh, someone from Miami uh, mm-hmm. with local ties to DC, which is interesting. Very cool. Very cool. And like something very, uh, I th- I think, really great. If listeners, if you haven't been to Leku, the restaurant at the Rebel Museum in Miami, it is so good. Honestly, one of my favorite restaurants in Miami. I would eat there every day if I could. I've had some spectacular wine soaked lunches that just truly ignite all the senses. Fabulous. That, that, yeah, I Fast would, cuisine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fast cuisine in Miami. I know. It's, uh, it's so sick. So, so good. Um, I want to go back. You know, what we like to do on Nota Bene is just really give a snapshot of our guests' just whole career. And for you, it, it started very early. You know, I, I want to hear about, you know, you like to talk about how this George Kondo was the first work that you collected. But I was reading in, in the intro to um, the book that was made about the show that you put on in Duke, which we're going to do, that, that you consider this Keith Haring work kind of the, the first acquisition. How were you buying art so young? And, you know, what was it like to just, you know... 
I mean, I, I, we, I, we were lucky. We grew up in New York in the um, early 70s. Mm -hmm. um, my parents were fully engaged with the local art scene in, in uh, that time, Soho in those days. And we were dragged around as kids begrudgingly to galleries and and generally hated it pretty much <laughs> for, the, for, 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 for a long time. And they were pretty convincing to not give up in terms of our engagement and, and our getting us kind of uh, getting us kind of in tune with what their passion was, because they realized, you know, in those days, it was like there were no house. We didn't have any housekeeping. We, mm -hmm. You know, it was like either they took the kids or they left. Uh, uh, they left. They left us a home alone. So that wasn't going to happen. So we were down there. My, we, they would always give us little bribes you know come see five galleries and we'll go get an ice cream cone or this amazing it was it was kind of very simple but they made a conscious decision that they needed to include us and they needed to engage with us and and allow us to kind of find our way inside it and eventually like i started doing these little uh like art reviews i used to take the announcement cards from the from the galleries at the front desk and you know, collage them onto paper and sort of they'd say, guys, you, you know, write up a little review of the show. And I'd come home on a Saturday and we'd have like five or six of these things. And then little by little, by the time I'm, you know, um, I'm, and we, we, we had a lot, just an incredible childhood. I mean, just our dinner table was, was, you know, was incredible in terms of who was coming to our house and who was, we're surrounded by. And I would just kind of be there absorbing. And it was like, it was always about, not about like putting the kids up in their room while we're having the adult dinner. No, it's like we're having a family dinner and the kids are going to be sitting around the table with whoever we're inviting. So that could be, God, artists, dealers, collectors, you know, you name it. And, uh, and that was unbelievable. I was not a very vocal kid, I would say, at that age, early on. This is, I'm talking in my early teens, but I was like, but I was privileged and lucky to be at the table, which, which I think people take for granted. You know, if you have the opportunity to, 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 to sit there sometimes sitting there is pretty powerful yeah and anyways that was what the start is but then later on i i 13 you know famous you know got a few bucks from a, my bar mitzvah mm -hmm. <laughs> that keith herring did the invitation for in 82 yeah it looked it, amazing you know, yeah studio 54 my, you know that was <laughs> it was it was it was incredible people had no idea who he was because this was january 82 the invitations mm -hmm. went out like the fall of, of 81, no one knew who Keith was. And then we used to get calls later, like, can you send me another invitation again? Maybe you sign it for me. <laughs> you know? but, but anyway, that, that was, so that was it. I started at thir 13. We were, I would, you know, by that time, I would, we were going to galleries, Lower East Side, East Village was, was, was in its prime. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, it was Pat Hearn. It was, uh, it was Pat Hearn. She had this little gallery on the corner of, I think it was 7th Street at that time, Avenue C, which was like brutally yeah. tough. Right. And um, she was amazing. I mean, I would go in, you know, I said, Pat, I, I think my folks had first seen his work. We'd gone down there, obviously, you know, intimidated, you know, like, uh, you know, she took me into the room. I said, Pat, what could I afford? Is there something of George, George's that I could buy? And she took me into this little back room she had there. It was like a, a side uh, space and 1620 bucks. And I... Um, they called the immigrants 83 it was good because mm -hmm. it was the painting was like it was like i was like a big fan of like magritte surrealism that mm. was like kind of what i dolly you know it was like kind of as a kid you're getting into that kind of thing and that was it and i had a little index card and i'd give her 
it was like I had a down payment. I think the down payment was like probably 150, 200 bucks. And then I'd literally come back to the gallery like every week or two, give her another 25, 50 bucks. And it was so cool because she would, I still have the card. I got to find it. But she would just initial like, you know, Jason gave me 50 <laughs> bucks today or something. Wow. And eventually so I paid it all off. And then I bought a few other things from her. And then um, she was amazing. I mean, that was, you know, I was like kind of, I was like I was 13, but she was beautiful, and it was mm-hmm. like kind of like yeah. it was like kind of. Um, she was an icon. Yeah, she's an icon, really was, but sweet, and she had this incredible. Um, I never. It was like she would use like her eye, uh, you know, eyeshadow was amazing. I was never forget it how she just to paint on her eyebrows. It was beautiful. But anyways, mm-hmm. anyways, but that was that was so that was the start of it, and then I kind of just kept kind of going, and I had these great experiences traveling to Europe. Um, I remember going to Art Basel the first time, I think in 85, my parents said, you know, go. And they were gonna meet me there and I went there a few days early and that was sort of, started getting involved in some European artists and it was just little by little and it was, uh, I never saw, thought of myself really as, I thought, collecting per se. I mean, I was just kind of buying things mm-hmm. and I would bring them to my room and, uh, you know, kind of start plastering my wall with all kinds of stuff and, uh, yeah, it was just, it, it wasn't, didn't feel like, collect, I never really saw it as collecting. I just, it was just a fun world to be in. Mm-hmm. I was like engaged and I was like, these people are amazing and these artists, it's like crazy ideas. And um, yeah, it, it was, and it was, obviously it was the model that they always used, which was, you know, those days installments and this, mm-hmm. so I learned all this stuff, you know, I was like, but that was, that's how it started. And um, yeah, but that, plenty of other great stories but the funniest ones were like when yeah I want to hear the stories my, my rooms were my, my, my sister in our room was in the top floor of our or fourth floor of our house and by those days in the 80s you'd have groups come through museum groups come to visit the mm-hmm. city and they'd come through and they'd be like um, you know call up my parents and want to bring a group of people over and my you know they, my parents would meet them and you know say okay you know our son's going to give you the tour. And they're like, what, what are they sending this, this 14-year-old kid giving us a tour of the art collection? So, I mean, I, I, it was like kind of, I like kind of, I got, it was like, I was like so involved and it was like such a, you know, uh, a, a special moment. I, you know, it's like funny. It's, it's the same, believe it or not, the same energy today. And it's like almost 40 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same kind of engagement, but. Anyways, there's more more stories. Um, I mean, if you have any more stories, yeah, that come to your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Um, uh, uh, plenty. I mean, I, I'll tell you. Um, well, we can get into the to the to the to the exhibition and the and the. But the, 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 one of the great mm-hmm. the one of the great stories talking about the dinner table that we were around, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget this. It was like right before Keith Haring's first show, yeah, uh, at, Shif- at at Tony Shafrazi's in '82. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd been collecting his work for a little bit, and we're very friendly with him, and. You know, Keith calls up, calls up my folks, and he goes, "You know, I'm having this show. My parents are coming to town for the, I think, the first time to visit him, and it would mean the world to me if they could kind of meet you guys as collectors wow. of my work. And like, you know, the idea being was that, you know, someone actually bought this guy. Someone bought our, you know, like their work, and that it had some value or some sort of that it existed out there." And at the time, you know, my father was, you know, practicing gynecologist. My mother was in real estate. Mm-hmm. And it was like we were these like kind of, I guess he saw us as sort of respectable, mm-hmm. you know, Upper East Side, like, like sort of dignified people that would collect, 
you know, his work. Mm-hmm. And, and it, was, it was only a, couple, a few years after he had moved from Cutstown, Pennsylvania. And I think he, uh, he wanted that kind of validation. I remember the whole family comes over totally. that night. And they were, and they was like, I remember that we had the painting hanging in our dining room. It was this early uh, Masonite piece, this diptych. And it was like, it was, in, it was so interesting to see, um, you know, artists you forget, you know, you think of them as famous characters, but the family kind of dynamic of, of artists feeling like their families respect what they do, mm-hmm. like know what they do and like believe what they're doing. Cause I mean, look how many, I mean, it happens every day. People come to New York or come where, you know, kids come out of art school and go and try to make their way and to have the validation. And you, you realize it's, it's, yes, it's public validation on the one hand, on the other hand, it's familial validation, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, we all kind of search, search for that, but you kind of, of forget that in artists. Mm-hmm. That was a, it was just a beautiful thing. We had a nice relationship right. with his family until he passed away. And oh, um, yeah, that's anyway, amazing. It's a funny story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so as you grew up, you, you know, you're a tennis star, right? You know, tennis, tennis is in the family. I mean, yeah. my grandfather, my father, and yeah. And, and you made the immensely smart decision to go to university. Fabulous, brilliant, brilliant decision. <laughs> Listener, we we are both graduates of Duke University, the best. I, I think uh, probably know in, the, this by in, now. The, in the best university in the universe. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, without a doubt. Um, and so it was there. That you were taking art history courses. You had one professor who was really a yeah. Mentor. I had yeah. I had a life changer there. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone talks about it. I had um, I I took some classes with uh, Christine Stiles, who was mm-hmm. a. Uh, at the time, I, this is back in late 80s, was just sort of starting there. I think it was within yeah. our first few years. And um, we initially did um, some pro- did a project actually with Keith again. We did, ended up, what ended up being his last interview that Arts Magazine published shortly before he passed away as a project junior year. But then what was interesting was my senior year, she, you know, we would talk and she started, you know, hearing about all the things I'd been collecting and she started... She said, well, what do you, how do you see these things? How do you view them? What are they? How, do they? how do you relate to them? And I didn't really, like I said before, I didn't really think of it as collection. Mm-hmm. I saw it as just objects um, in my room <laughs> that literally mm-hmm. I would bring tour groups to see. But I, you know, mm-hmm. and, and she just opened my eyes to the fact that what I was doing was meaningful, that it had my personality stamped on it, that, that I had, um, that, you know, in my own way, I was making an impact and I was connecting with artists and it was, it was, it was amazing. So what we ended up doing is she, and she recommended it, which was remarkable is that she, we did an exhibition of the collection between, mm-hmm. you know, 1983 and 1991 when I graduate and we do an exhibition catalog and we, we, we exhibit it, which is at that time was a small space on East campus before right. the Nasher Museum mm-hmm. got built years later. And we did this this catalog, and just the, you know, what she got me doing was, you know, really thinking about, you know, contextualizing what it means to be a collector, to my relationship to artists, my relationship to the art, really thinking about art and what you know what meaning is inside it and why it why it connects to you and. We did some, the catalog is funny because we did, you know, because it's like academically, we had to do something academic. Mm-hmm. We, we, I, I did this. It's I all did this, about academics. Yeah, it's all about academics. So I, I, we did this thing where I sent letters to all the, every single artist in this show. 
So there were like 50 artists, I think. Which, which are some of the artists? Just uh, to, Jeff yeah. Koons, mm-hmm. Gerhard Richter, yep. Cindy Sherman, um, uh, Rosemary Trockle, um, George Kondo, obviously, Keith Herring. Um, it, it, it was the end of the, yeah, no, it was, I, I, Andreas Gursky, I think it was like the first piece I'd live, I was living there for a summer in, in 88. And I had met all those German photographers uh-huh. and, and Thomas Ruff, I knew a little bit and I went to see him and he told me, go look at my neighbor. He's upstairs. This guy, Gursky, he's never shown in the U.S. <laughs> and I ended up buying, well, the craziest part of that story is I ended up buying three beautiful drawings of the drawings, three beautiful <laughs> yeah. photographs when I say drawings. And there, one of them, this Rettingen uh, Schwimmbad, this swimming pool, is a very famous photograph mm. in a small format. And what I do is I say, okay, I'll carry that one home. The others were too big. And I never had the money to buy the other one. So I, call, I, never, I ended up only with this one <laughs> damn photograph. <laughs> okay. And the other two. And I see it, when I see him, I kind of joke around about it. But that, that was, anyway, that was that story. But um, what I did is I, I wrote everyone in the show a letter. And I said, listen, I want to talk about and begin thinking about how you see your relationship between an art, as an artist to the collector and an artist to the institution. Because mm-hmm. I was going to be showing these works inside the institutional context. And I got... Basically, I would say three quarters of the artists responded. Some really wacky, you know, like this guy. This uh, various crazy responses. <laughs> some very, some really great responses. But what was interesting about it really is it really started me thinking about, you know, art inside of a public context. That mm-hmm. was really what. And I think to this day, that's maybe been a big part of thinking about you know taking a collection and going public we, we you know showing the collection there and what that impact was and seeing my friends and kids that I was in school with and the reaction and the kind of impact and the you know the real idea was that I would I gave a little talk and like when I was at Duke was like you can participate in this in this adventure of art you, mm-hmm. you can buy art you can you can sacrifice something and participate right and I remember I was I gave this little talk at Duke during that opening time and I I said guys here's what you got to do this is this is like May of 91 I said because the questions that would always come up listen I'm living in Kansas City I'm living in you know Colorado how the hell am I going to know what's going on in New York City how am I going to get the how do you you got information because you were living in New York City and I said there's one thing you got to do I said it's at that time it probably was like 20 bucks I said get an annual subscription to Parquet magazine there you go. Okay. Yeah. I said, get the subscription to Parquet Maddox. I said, listen, they're going to come out every quarter with an unbelievable publication. I don't know how they make money at 20 bucks for right. four of these things at the time. They're going to be the smartest, brightest curators, writers are going to tell you in this beautiful publication, you know, what is most interesting and relevant going on. And in addition to that, they're going to be having the artists in that publication make incredible editions that are incredibly affordable mm-hmm. so if you can happen to afford beyond the magazine you can afford another 100 bucks or 200 bucks whatever it was you can buy a beautiful Gerhard Richter edition mm-hmm. or whatever was being happening that time brilliant that's brilliant yeah, I, I thought I you know I was like I because I had to bring it to a level that it was accessible mm-hmm. anyway so that that was that was I remember that and actually a number of people came up to me years as years went on and took the advice wow that's which incredible. was which was rewarding it was satisfying and then, by the way, that show went through Barry Blinderman, who was at Illinois State. He owned Semaphore Gallery in New York, mm-hmm. who I knew back then, but then he took over at Illinois State. He saw this show, like, loved it, 
and said, I want to travel this thing. He took it to Illinois State, which was like, it was like Mars. I went out there. It was great. <laughs> and then eventually it went, it went on to almost a dozen university museums Un- unbelievable. from 91 to 94. Anyways, but, that was, but Christine was the impetus and, mm-hmm. and she's incredible. And, uh, you know, she was teaching at that time. It was wild. I mean, she was teaching like all the serious feminist history, performance art. Carolee Schneeman. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. I don't know how she survived at Duke. I, I, <laughs> but she, but by the way, it. she ended up having te- getting tenure, and, mm-hmm. she, and you know now she's a hero. Yeah, I mean, I just want to, you know, maybe I'm a little biased here, but it just seems so deeply important that 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 show existed and that you were there to just sort of talk about it with your fellow students and be like, yeah, like you can, like I think you said this in the catalog, but like you save uh, buy one fewer cup of coffee every day. I, no, exactly. Like, take your bike to work and like, you know, you can save just a few dollars a day and be able to buy art, you know, yeah. anyone can I, do I, it. I, yeah, by the way, I still believe it. Yeah, I, 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 I totally, totally believe it. I think it's, you know, collecting art, it's a sacrifice, yes, far more rewarding than the sacrifice you need to make and and it's uh it, it's just do you choose to do it and mm-hmm. and um if you do it i think you're rewarded and and it's you know it, it, it definitely changed your life yeah and you're carrying on with your work at the nasher now you know it's yeah. just the college institution i think is very very important oh yeah i um, mean what's going on the nasher by the way i just a, a shout out to them mm-hmm. i think one of the great stories in university art museums right now i think mm-hmm. it's i think they have a focus mission they have a dedicated group of supporters totally. i i obviously you know, agree with you. yeah but i i think it's a story that's uh that uh we should send nota bene down there <laughs> I, I would go to durham for any reason at any moment you know that. barbecue and the national museum exactly that's I mean, and so much more i love durham so much um um and so you know after that you know, I, I wanted to ask you open a gallery in, in I open a gallery in Palm Beach. Now, you know, you know what it was interesting. I, I graduate in 91. I opened the gallery Palm Beach. Why they, Palm Beach? Uh, I like the warm weather. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> a simple answer, yeah. but no, no, but because basically I had a lot of friends that were artists that had no representation down there at all. Right, it was course. very basic. It was mm-hmm. just like, kind of like I wasn't an econ major, but I knew enough to say, you know, how do, I can't go to New York and compete with that. And, um, well, there's, there's a ton it was of galleries. A cra- it was a crazy move. It was really, you know, because of that project at Duke, I wanted to, I felt like a gallery was the most, and I had such heroes that were gallerists, and I felt like their engagement with the art was so intense and so incredible. Mm-hmm. And they were like the greatest advocates. So I felt like if, you know, these people, I wanted to be like those people. I wanted to be Pat Hearn. I mean, mm-hmm. that was like so cool, you know, like, I mean, all Monica Spruth. I mean, these were like, I looked. I really looked up to these people, mm-hmm. and and Conrad Fisher. I had like incredible relations. Marion Goodman, like they were great to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like, I want to be, enter that story. I didn't quite know because I was in, stupidly. I, I had never worked in a gallery. Right. I didn't really know what it was like <laughs> to actually do that. And I learned pretty quickly actually doing that in '91 who my friends were and who my friends weren't because I think. You know, I lost a lot of friends. I think by going to the, right. the so-called dark side of mm-hmm. you know from collecting world but i it was like three years i opened another space in miami in 92 um i i did fun great shows it was fun and the, mm-hmm. the artists liked it and we had we it was a good good experience but mm-hmm. i think what i realized was that i have a hard enough time convincing myself about work that's appealing and interesting and you know and i and to convince others it's a special talent you mm-hmm. know i don't know if i necessarily have that talent i mean i i i i don't it's not an engagement that I necessarily, uh, it was an interesting experience. I don't think in hindsight I would, 
have done it again, actually. Mm-hmm. You know? But it, it did, in some way, that, and plus the experience of doing the show at Duke, did that lead to the creation of the Rubel Family Collection in some um, way? And did it lead to this? The collection was always there. But, the, uh, but they, to they, show they, yeah, it Yeah, I made a conscious decision, I think, at that moment, that I was like, either going to go my own way or join the, the team. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was like, do I... And it's do I just continue to collect as a, as on my own? And and what really I really realized was that the real engagement fun. I love the process. It's you know of being together and communicating about it and fighting about it. And I just it's a whole universe of of it's dysfunctional. You know I always felt like, you know this this twenty five thirty year old kid with their parents running around looking at art. It's like it's mm-hmm. wacky. You know it's like, but. But we talk. That's that's you know. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I, I really did. I loved it. And I somehow early on, like I really appreciated the fact that I was privileged to be with these people. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, very my Mary and Don. I mean, they're they're just like they're uniquely talented, um, compelling, fearless people. So uh, you know, I I realized that to join together was was a was a bigger better mission and i think i, I just i, I decided that at that time mm-hmm. and so you're in miami your parents moved down right well i i, I was down there first yeah. and we start going down there we did some real estate down in miami my dad was still practicing medicine mm-hmm. up through the late 90s uh we get sick of the new york storage situation right. and, and the kind of spending all this money and not seeing the art and just buying it and it's just going into the storage and we you know mm-hmm. moving it's a pain in the neck and uh, we start thinking about, I mean, we, it's funny, I was, we were always super, for some reason or another, they, they always have, they have a grand vision. Yeah. I mean, their vision is not, I don't know what, it's, it's they have a, a vision and a belief, and generally it comes true. Now that's kind of, it's hokey to say it, but I think you've got to have that in this kind of game, right? I mean, you've got to mm-hmm. kind of like say, if you're going to go into an artist's studio tomorrow, you believe that 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 artist is Picasso. You, mm-hmm. and it's fun, I mean, you you actually believe it, and you, I think you got to believe it mm-hmm. because that's what it is. I mean, if you don't believe it, then how do you do it? Right. Because you're you. So they had this always early on. We we would always used to travel. We always were fascinated with collectors. Mm-hmm. Always. So we would visit collectors. We we loved collectors that had gumption to actually have big space. That mm-hmm. was always that was that was amazing. So. People like, I mean, like Saatchi in the 80s, Charles Saatchi, Mm -hmm. Boundary Road, Mm -hmm. places like that. I remember going, like Barbara Gladstone took us for the first time in probably, I don't know, 85, 6, something like this, to Schaffhausen Mm -hmm. to see the Krex collection there in this incredible uh, converted warehouse building. You know, there was another great collection in Ghent, Anton Herbert. Mm-hmm. Just recently, unfortunately, passed um, that that incredible, incredibly focused collection inside these incredibly beautifully minimalist, you know, renovated uh, uh, spaces. And those mo- those times, those travels, those trips where we got to see collections inside of those environments, lasting impact mm-hmm. without a doubt. I mean, those are like the kind of those are the moments that that kind of impacted their perception of where and my perception of where the collection could be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we had, there were models out there. Um, not necessarily, I mean, like Eli Broad, I mean, in, 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 in Santa Monica, when he had his original space, 
in in that uh, warehouse building by the beach. I mm-hmm. mean, that was obviously not as grandiose and fabulous as the new the new building, but that was another that was another example. Um, mm-hmm. But the but th- that was that was sort of we got sick of the storage. We had lived through those models. We had seen those collections, and we had seen what impact they were doing. They were, I mean, Saatchi, the art of our time. He was publishing these catalogs. He was he was changing the discourse, and that was like that was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so we we decide enough with the storage. We're sick of it. Um, we're in Miami already doing real estate. We're like, let's go out and see what we can find. We end up going to Wynwood, which was like basically no man's land, right? And buy this DEA uh, confiscation warehouse. It was it was thirty thousand feet. We paid four hundred fifty thousand dollars for the building. And I went in there with uh, at the time, I finished the gallery with Mark Hanforth, who was a terrific artist, a British artist who was mm-hmm. living in Miami, one of my dear friends in Miami. And we go in there with literally, you know, ripping apart two by fours, recycling the two by fours and start like conceptualizing a space. And wow. that, the first iteration of that building on 29th Street in Wynwood was really uh, Mark and I just kind of, I don't know, on the back of a napkin drawing up some space. And that was what mm-hmm. was cool about Miami at that time is like you kind of could do stuff like that. It was like kind of. It was like a little bit of Wild West. Right. What was Miami like, you know, in terms of both the art scene, also, you know, you were opening hotels in, yeah. in the pre-Basel days. Like, I mean, the art scene was quiet. Yeah. I mean, it, there were some great collectors there. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, Marty was yeah, like Marty's the big delayed. kind yeah. of uh, big, big story. Um, and there were some other, other nice collectors there, but nothing. Like, not, there was no real market there. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like... And you had this, like, the Center for the Fine Arts. It was a, a, a sleepy, quieter, more conservative. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing, nothing radical. And um, so we, uh, yeah, we, 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 we marched ahead. And I was crazy. And then we moved out of that storage space in New York and moved it down there. And we were doing it. And that mm-hmm. was the first iteration. It was, like, from 94 until we decide to do a big renovation, sort of a proper renovation of the building. Uh, in 2003 was the first mm-hmm. real iteration of it. Amazing. Yeah. And, and by that time, the fair had opened in Miami. Had, the you know, fair, it, well, the fair opens, it delayed because of, because of 9-11. 9/11. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sam come, Sam, that's a whole story, it's the fair. I mean, Sam, Sam would come, <laughs> Sam would come to Sam Miami. To, he, Sam liked Miami. Sam had to convince the Swiss to open well, a fair here, right? There's some crazy stories with that. I mean, Sam... Sam, Sam comes Keller, to Miami, loves way. Miami, and and Sam Keller, yeah. and Lorenzo Rudolph, who was he was the director at the time, mm-hmm. and they love Miami. And I remember crossing the bay. We we'd come from our space in Wynwood, driving back to Miami Beach, probably to I don't know, eat at Joe's or something. And mm-hmm. and he and I'm and I'm saying and I'm pointing out to Lorenzo. I'm like Lorenzo. Look at those containers over there. Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> you know, Miami's a f- cool, fun place. Let's do, like, wouldn't it be nice to do something in containers? It's, like, cheap. <laughs> it's fast. Yeah. It's easy. Like, slap down a few containers. Let's get some galleries. Like, we, I, no one ever thought of it as, like, the real fair. But, like, let's, <laughs> but let's do something fun. So he was, like, he, ran, he loved it. He lo- he's, like, he said, well, the problem, of course, is what about the Picassos? We can't put those. <laughs> we, we, we can't. We cannot put the Picassos in a container. So, um, yeah, I mean, that yeah, was great yeah, because the fact that he thought about bringing Picassos to Miami was a miracle in itself. Exactly. So that's yeah. great. So he needed we, a we convention all, We've center. all been there. We've all, of course. Well, yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, that was that was the and then the fair. The, another crazy story at the fairs. I'll never forget the first year there was it was we were in the hotel business in Miami Beach, mm. and they had to convince the Art Basel organizers had to convince Miami Beach that the fair would occupy something like I want to say a thousand room nights. Or, wow! So, so a thousand is, room nights because the way that they determined who had priority over the convention center was by how many room nights. Uh, your fare would would take so mm-hmm. i so i was like a thousand room nights hold on a second we have a hundred room hotel i just wrote a letter i said we'll use a thousand they'll, they'll use a thousand room nights in our hotel for the mm-hmm. for the duration of the fair but it yeah. was it was just funny because you know who knew i, I mean, know they didn't it took a little convincing the, the city of Miami beach people flew over the mayor was was great and the rest is history the rest is, the rest is history, history. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah. All right, uh, I want to just just come back to, to DC now because you know we're we're, we're here. The opening is is you know minutes it's away basically. Out, yeah, I, I, I want to just express you know, to the listener the mayor is en route. <laughs> <laughs> it's about to be a cr- the craziest art party DC has ever seen. There's going to be the drinks. There's going to be food trucks. I think it's going to be fun. A thousand of our best friends. At oh least. God, I can't. I cannot wait. Um, what is your your ultimate vision for this space? What uh, what do you how do you want to operate? Uh, how how is it going to work in DC? How is it going to be different from the museum in Miami? I just we just want to show good art. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I, you know, it's like I want. I'm so excited for people to see the space. I want the artists to see the space. Mm-hmm. I hope we did justice for the artists that have their work up here that that we we installed and they're happy about it. Um, and then I hope that they they dictate the way we go because we kind of that's how we operate. We let mm-hmm. them sort of. I, I want artists to come and say, "I want to do something there." Mm-hmm. You know, that would be satisfying. That's that, I think that's a kind of, I guess, a barometer of our making it successful. Because I think I know I I just believe and know that if artists are convinced of it, love it, want to do it, and engage with it, it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. So that's it, you yeah. know. And if the audience comes, the audience has to get involved. I mean, mm-hmm. if because I don't see how, I, like I always say, it's like you get an audience coming. It's interesting. You got to have stuff that's going to comp- be compelling. Mm-hmm. And if I think if there's compelling art, why not? It's going to mm-hmm. work. Speaking of compelling art, you know, we're sitting in this amazing room. It's William McNeely. There are so many great rooms in this show. I mean, like, like, what was it like putting this show together? And what are some some of the highlights for you? I mean, I, I, I actually, I think once we f- realized this theme, the relationship to Marvin Gaye being a student here, yes, the relationship Mar- Mar- to yeah, Keith should, Herring, mm-hmm. that the Keith Herring did this incredible suite of against all odds drawings in 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 '89, shortly before he passed away, referencing Marvin Gaye, talking about the the AIDS crisis during you know gripping New York during that time. Um, when we started thinking about that we're a mile or less from the capital, mm-hmm. we started thinking about the issues of our time. We, we, you know, it became quite simple, I have to say. I didn't think, you know, the list could grow much larger and we, I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes saying, oh, I forgot this artist or we could add that artist. But, you know, there, I mean, from things like Josh Klein, you know, dealing with, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with basically... Shout out Josh Klein, friend of the pod. Out, exactly. Friend of the rebels, friend of the pod. There we go. There we go. Can't one beat the, that. One and the same. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, talking about unemployment, talking about, you know, this tragic tragedies that can exist at any time in any place. Um, highly politicized political art, which, um, which is, I think, 
powerful and hopefully can have a profound impact in people's thinking. Uh, there's, there's an incredible uh, John Miller installation. Mm. Oh, my God. Multi-part, gold-leafed. has to be seen to be believed yeah, it's, it's, cra- it's in, an, in this space especially. An epic piece. We, we created it. I, I find the basement actually really quite, I did, I quite horroring. It's the most raw space in the entire building because you really get to see the foundation and the brick. And it feels, it feels very, um, it's a little dark down there. Yeah. It's, it's a hell of a space. I mean, like, what you have up right now is perfect. I mean, the, there's a, there's the Jenny also Holzer and Andrea yeah. Suda, right? Yeah, Jenny Holzer, early plaque. There's mm-hmm. Andrea Suda. Uh, Maurizio Catalan, the mother mm-hmm. photograph. Sort of both hope and pray uh, as a kind of conclusion of the, of the show. And, uh, and Kasia von Zappel, this, yep. this oh wild kind of. Listeners, you, you may recall this work. <laughs> Cover your from, ears. From, Cover your ears. <laughs> <laughs> from Freeze New York 2022, just a few months ago. And exactly. it was the, yeah. the star of, of that fair, probably, yeah, is so now that, here in D.C. If you, got, if, if, yeah, if you weren't awake when you got down there, you wake up on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to have a prip. We miss, you know, we love you guys. Ah, that's a friend that's of the so pod. I can say it. Friend of the it. pod. Next time we'll do it from Durham. How about that? Definitely. Let's do it. <laughs> um, and everyone, if you're listening, you know, DC is just in a cellar right away. It's it's close. Get on down here if you're in New York. It's a quick flight if you want to do it that way. Whatever you want, just come to DC. Great town. It's my hometown. We love it. Peace. Nota bene. Out. <laughs> <laughs>